So this week, I was thinking about how the word influence has had a couple different meanings uh, over the course of my life thus far. When I was in a, a few different bands, I would get asked the question, oh, who are your influences? Meaning, who are some of the other groups that uh, inspired you? Or maybe if I listen to your music, I might hear just a little bit of their music in there as well. Being a pretentious snob that I was, I, I would try to grab the most obscure bands that I could think of, maybe even make up one or two to see if I could get away with it. Oh, you've never heard of the Rancid Shrimp? Oh, those guys will knock you out. But then, thinking about it now, the word influence can have more of a notion of influencers. Those who are on social media, who draw about a following and they get paid to then promote products. And this is nothing new. Most of the the big commercials that we have have some celebrity, someone with a following who then tells people to buy this product. And it works sometimes because they have influence. And influence shows up in a lot of places, in job interviews. Who is someone who has had an influence on you? Meaning, how did you get to this place that we're now interviewing you? Or we might pick up a hobby or a skill because someone with a position of influence in our life has that same hobby or skill. I got into soccer because I had a boss who was really into soccer. And I really noticed the impact of influence and how much I might have when I started to mentor interns in the church. If you want to see what your habits are, lead someone. Because you'll start to see those habits show up in someone else's life. I had to pull an intern to the side one time and say, hey, you know that we don't have to end every prayer with we pray to you and you alone, right? That's not in the Bible. That's just some quirk of mine that I do for some reason. I don't know why. But I had influence on this person. We all have people who influence us and we influence others. Some of that is good and some of that is not so good. But today we're going to start a series where we get to see a church that has a positive influence on all the Christians that are around them, a church in a city called Thessalonica. And we see this in 1 Thessalonians, the book named after that city, Thessalonica, verse 7. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 says this, so that you became an example, another word that we could say, so that you had an influence on all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And think of how beautiful that is for a church. You have had an influence on other believers. Think about how that would be a dream come true for us at Calvary. That for those who believe in Jesus in the front range, in Thornton, in Boulder, in Erie, in the surrounding communities, they could say, I'm following Jesus more because of Calvary. Or even non-Christians, I'm following Jesus for the first time because of Calvary. And not to make our name known, not so that we can get puffed up and excited about what we're doing. No, no, no. That we can bring God glory, that he would use us to make his name known by our example, our influence. Isn't that beautiful? Wouldn't that be the dream for us? And that is one of the reasons why we want to study this book together, why we will for the next seven weeks following this, because we want to see how to be a church of influence like this church was. How can we live our lives in a way that is an example like this church was? How can we draw encouragement from this church that was in Thessalonica? So what we're going to do is we're going to do a Mark It Up series through First Thessalonians. 
Now, one of the things about us is uh, we are Calvary Bible Church, and we want to make sure the Bible is the center of everything we do, not just the center of our name. And so every time we come together, we want the Bible to be the focus. Every time I'm preaching, I want the Bible to be the focus. And so we will occasionally do these series that we call Mark It Up series, where we want to go through a biblical book together, where we want to actually mark it up. We want to draw connections. We want to underline things. We want to draw crazy arrows that make us look like crazy people with conspiracy theories. But actually, we're trying to draw deep truth from God's Word and have that become alive in our lives. We want to ask questions. And so when we do this Mark It Up series, we will preach through a book together and learn together. And there's a few, there's a few advantages of this. For, for one, it helps us to see how we can be reading. What we will be doing together, every single one of us can do in every single passage that we come to. Uh, and that's why we want to do it. We want to ask questions, we want to underline things, we want to draw connections, and when we get stumped, we want to go and try to figure out what the answer could be. I'm not up here because I have some super close connection to the Bible where this bright light comes upon me every Thursday morning and I figure out exactly what the passage means. That's not it at all. I just have a bigger book collection than you. And my job is to be freed up to study that so that we can all benefit from that together. But what we're going to be doing, all of us are able to do in our reading. Another reason for doing a Mark It Up is it helps us to not avoid difficult passages. There are parts of the Bible that are hard to understand. There are parts of the Bible that are controversial. And the coward in me would be tempted in this new job, in this new church, to do an 800-week series on God's love for us. It's true. God loves us, and that's so good. We love hearing that truth, but it's not the extent of what God reveals about himself. So we want to have a mark it up. We want to read through all the passages, even the thorny ones, to try to figure out all of what God shows himself to be to us. All of Scripture is inspired. All of Scripture is beneficial. So we want to preach through all of Scripture, and a mark it up helps us do that. And the third, a market up helps me to not spend so much money on books because one commentary will last me for eight weeks. So thank you for that. And so in our time together, we want to look at this church in Thessalonica to see how they were a church of influence, to see how we might be a church of influence as well off of their example. And there's no better place to start for that than chapter one, verse one. So encourage you, grab one of these books. They're at the back table. They're out in the lobby if we run out of those ones. It is the text of 1 Thessalonians, and you also get 2 Thessalonians in there. That is our gift to you. Uh, 1 Thessalonians is there. It is helpful to mark it up if that is how you learn, how you see connections. Draw on it. Draw those crazy arrows. Whatever you need to do to see the text of God's Word come alive in our life because we will be working through this together for the next few weeks. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 says this. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. All right, so it doesn't sound like there's too much going on, but there's a lot that we can glean from this. It looks like when we just read it, it's one of the tags that we slap on a Christmas present. Do! From, but there is so much more going on on this, and it's the foundation of what we see the influence, the example that this church has to those around. The influence, the example that we want to have as Calvary Bible Church Thornton. 
And so let me give the source of that influence from the beginning, and then as we walk through this text together, hopefully we can come to the same conclusion as well. Hold me accountable. Let's see if it's in the text. So this is what I see as the reason why this church is so influential. They have an influence that comes from being in the Father, living a life in word and deed in Jesus. There's a lot there, so let me break that down again. They have an influence that comes from living uh, from being in the father living a life in word and deed in jesus so that's what i see as the source of the influence we'll work through that together so it could be more clear for us and see if that is what is actually what the text is saying so let's start with this letter that's it's a letter one of the questions that we have is the same question that we ask every time we get mail or at least i do who is it from so let's see who this is from. And it's right there in the beginning. If this is helpful for you, circle the name so that it sticks out to you, so you can see who it is that sent this. We have three names there, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy. So Paul, we know quite a bit about. His life was dramatically changed when he was met by the risen Jesus. He went from persecuting Christians to becoming one, to writing most of the New Testament, and to planting Christian churches all through the known region. So he is a big part of our church's history as Christians in all times and all spaces. Then we have Sylvanus. This might be a little bit less known to us, especially this Latin name here. If we took the Greek name Silas, that might be helpful for us. But if not, that's okay. So Silas was sent to minister with Paul. He ended up traveling around with him, became a co-laborer planting some of these churches. And then Timothy was a young man who Paul and Silas met in Galatia, where he's from, and invited him to come with him. So these three men are actually the ones who planted this church in Thessalonica. Their work there is the reason why there is a church there. So they're writing this letter to encourage these people, to show that they love them, and to commend, uh, to commend them for this influence that they have. So that's who it's from. What do we know about who it's to? We keep saying Thessalonica, Thessalonians. So it's to these people. But what is the story of the planting of that church? Well, the Bible tells us that as well. And we can see the start of that flipping to Acts 16. Unfortunately, these won't get you there, but please hang on to them because we'll come back to them. And you can either go in your Bible or if it's too much to juggle a bunch of things, it's on the screen. So feel free to read it from there as well. So Paul has this plan of where he's going to go and preach to next. And then he receives this vision that completely changes his plan. We read about that in Acts 16, verse 9. It says this, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul gets this vision from this man in Macedonia saying to come and preach the gospel there. So he and Silas go. They meet Timothy along the way and bring Timothy as well. And then they start to preach in Macedonia in a city called Philippi. And things are going pretty well. There's some converts that happen. Lydia, if you know the story of her, is, is a convert at this time. And things are going really well for Paul, Silas, and Timothy until they get thrown into jail. And then things go really well for them. Because a, a miraculous event occurs, and they end up leading their jailer, the one who is, is supposed to be keeping them in prison, leads him to faith, him and his entire family. 
but now it's going to move to a different city in Macedonia, all in the quest to do that, to multiply churches. So as they're going to a different city, they go to the capital of Macedonia, a city called Thessalonica. And here in Thessalonica, Paul starts to preach right away, and he gives this Easter-like message. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. He's come to save us all, and he did so through his death and his resurrection. And the result of him preaching this message is found in Acts 17, verse 4. And it says, and some of them, these would be uh, Jewish individuals, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. This is where Paul, Silas, and Timothy were staying at. Uh, they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. So after this mob scene happens, in response to their preaching, Paul, Silas, and Timothy are forced to flee this city, this, the city of Thessalonica, after being there for only three weeks. And so they write this letter to these people that they love because they see they have deep faith, faith that formed after only three weeks and is continuing to be formed. Incredible. But they also write them because of what we just saw, that this is faith that is formed in the midst of persecution and is continuing to grow in the midst of persecution. Things have not gotten better for them there. So they want to encourage them, especially since they only got three weeks of but this whole time, we're trying to figure out what do we know about these people in Thessalonica who are receiving this letter. And we get some details here of who makes up this group. Some are Jewish, some are Greek, some are leading women. And we'll talk about what those different people or what those different groups are like, but what's important is they're from different backgrounds. And so what is it that will define these people? What is it that brings them together? What is it that unifies them as a group. And this is where it's helpful to jump back to 1 Thessalonians in our booklet. We have a couple different descriptors of who they are. The first thing is they're called a church. Circle, underline, whatever's helpful for you to mark it up in this, in this part, but it's to the church that is given. Now, church is a pretty common word for us. We have a pretty good grasp of what the church means. If you didn't realize it, you happen to be in the church right now. But at the time, Church, or Christians didn't have a monopoly on the word church. Church just kind of meant a gathering of religious people. So in the, the Jews at the time would refer to Old Testament God's people as a church. Uh, in Greek culture, there would be a gathering of men who would make laws, and they would also have sacrifices to the Greek pantheon of gods at that time. So that would be a church. And so calling it a church just means it's a gathering of religious people. So let's get some more details. Well, it's a church of Thessalonians. I tried forever to get an arrow to work here because I really wanted it to show like it was signifying it. So you get to draw an arrow here if that's helpful for you. But I'm so really frustrated and bitter about it. But I need to move on. So it's a group of Thessalonians. So it's, it's uh, located geographically in Thessalonica. Still doesn't give it too much, so let's get to the biggest piece. That is a church of Thessalonians in God the Father and Jesus Christ. This is the biggest descriptor of them. It is a religious gathering of Thessalonians who are in God. They are in the Father and in Jesus. This describes who they are. 
But more than just being a descriptor of it, it is an honoring thing for Paul, Silas, and Timothy to say this about this church. It is so honoring for them to say that they are a church that is in God. John Chrysostom, who is this uh, old uh, church father, he was born about 350, died around 400. So a little bit before my time. I don't want to assume that that's before any of your time at all. But uh, so he's one of the most important figures of our church uh, of church history. He said this: For there were many assemblies, both Jewish and Grecian. But he says to the church that it is in God. It is a great dignity to which there is no equal that it is in God. So by saying this, they are defining this group as Thessalonians who are gathered in a way, and the biggest thing about them, the biggest distinguisher about them, the thing that is most unique about them is that they are in God. The most important detail about this group of people is they are God's possession. Because think of all the other letters that Paul has helped written. Like think of first uh, Corinthians, for example. He writes to this church in Corinth, and page after page is saying, you have failed. You aren't living the way you're supposed to. This is bad theology. But he says to this church, even after only three weeks with them, he says, you are doing so well. You are following Jesus in such a beautiful way that I can only say that you are in God. Like, that is who you are. You are of God's possession. What he says about you, what he's calling you to do, you are doing it. And that is the start of this influence that they have. The most important thing about a church, and the way that we know that word to mean, is that it be God's. And that is who we want to be. To have this influence, the most important thing about us is that we need to be God's possession. So following this, we get to hear grace to you and peace. And that's verse 1. That's a mark enough. You guys doing well? This okay so far? One verse so far, we're, we're doing okay. We need to go a little bit faster after this. We had to do the background work, but uh, we'll try to go a little bit faster. Let's, let's do verse 2. Verse 2 says, we give thanks to God always for all of you. Okay, I know I said it will go faster, but I'm going to stop right here. It's going to be okay. So he gives thanks to God for all of you. Again, I wish I had arrows, but I need to stop. So give thanks to God for all of you. Because of this descriptor, this dignity, this fact that they are God's possession, Paul, Silas, Timothy are just exuding in thanks for this church. So thankful for them because of who they are. It is because of God that they are following him in this way. It is because of God that they are persevering. It is because of God that this letter is so pastoral and loving all the way through instead of rebuking like some of the other letters that we get. God has done all this for them. It's not because the Thessalonians were really strong Christians. It's not that there was something in the water of Thessalonica. It is because God has done this in them. And so all they could do is thank God for that. He is the reason why all this has happened. He is the one who has given them this ability. So we thank the one who, who gives us a gift, right? Like if Tim gave me something, but instead I went and I thanked uh, someone, uh, I thanked Matthew instead. That isn't what we're supposed to do. We thank the person who's the reason for the gifts. This church, this church in Thessalonica, was a gift to Paul, Silas, Timothy. So they, added, they accurately thank God for what he has done to them. And along with that, they are mentioning them in their prayers. Prayer 6, a huge part throughout this letter, 
and in prayer and thanksgiving, they are so, so encouraged and so loving towards this church in Thessalonica. Okay, we'll keep going. Uh, verse 2, we give thanks to God always because all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have three kind of uh, descriptors, three virtues that are common in the Christian life. Faith, hope, and love. Now, if you read the New Testament, these three will pop up together all the time. Or you might get a couple of them together. But the reason for that is these seem to be the essentials of the Christian life. Faith, hope, and love. Don Carson, he talks about it, he says this way, Faith, hope, and love were not, for Paul nor the early Christians, a cluster of tired words, always deployed in some boring formula. No, no, no. Rather, they were the quintessential Christian virtues that they thought about and pursued. This is what the Christian life looks like. A Christian who has been shaped by Jesus should have a life that is defined by faith, hope, and love. This should be part of their lives. But why the Thessalonians are, are thanks, why they constantly show up in the prayers, is not because they just have these virtues, but it's more than that. You see there is a modifier for each one of those? It's not just faith, hope, and love. It is a work of faith. It is a labor of love, and I forgot to circle it, but a steadfastness of hope. In each of these areas, there is a modifier. What is going on with these? Let's take it one at a time. The first one is work of faith. Now, faith is so important, as we've said, and it pops up time and time again, as we've said. And we see throughout the New Testament the truth that is given to us in places like Paul's other writings. In the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And this is what Paul writes here. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. It is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay, so it says it's not a result of works, but it's called a work of faith. What, what's going on with it? And we talked last week at Easter that Jesus has done all that we need to be saved. He did it all. We don't have to work towards that. He did it all. So what is a work of faith? Well, let's read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the very next verse. And it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? We'll, we'll try it later. A little bit better. <laughs> For good works, exactly, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So we are saved by grace through faith for good works. This means that the works aren't the things that are saving us. We are already saved, and the result of that is that we do the good works. Jesus has done all that we need to be saved, and the result of that is we live in a life that is shaped by him. So this church in Thessalonica is being commended, not just because they have faith, but the faith is producing works within them. It is a work of faith. We've said it before, we will continue to say it. Uh, grace, which we are saved by, is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. These works don't earn our salvation, these works come because we have been saved. That is a work of faith. The second thing we have there is a labor of love. Now, I don't know if he needs to hear this, but love takes work. 
it can take some labor. We have all these movies where it's this, these, this couple meets and they fall in love and then a small conflict, most likely a misunderstanding happens and they split for a little bit, but you know, at the end of the hour and a half movie, they're in love again and it's beautiful forever. I want to see the next 15 years. I want to see the next 20 years. The next 50 years of conflict. That's the movie I want. That's the where I get encouragement. Because love can take labor. Love can take effort and work to make it happen. And we see this no more clearly than last week, Good Friday, right? Jesus goes to the cross to die the death that should have been ours out of love for us. And so we should love in a way that is as costly. And again, we looked at the, the details of who makes up this church, right? When we were in Acts 17, there's three people groups that came together to be this church. There were the Jews, there were the Greeks, and there were the, the leading women. And leading women would be those who were in charge of uh, idol worship, those who were in charge of these false churches at the time. And so you have quite a mixed bag of people right there, right? Jews... Greeks, those leading idol worship. That's like 70s buddy cop level of, of like bad partnerships. Like this one's neat, this one's messy, this one sacrifices to idols, this one believes in one God. It's not a good combo to come together. So for them to love like the church is called the loved, it's going to take labor. And that, has what, that is what's happened with this church in Thessalonica. They have put in the work to love each other despite all their differences, despite coming from radically different backgrounds to love each other as we are called to love. All right, we said it a couple weeks ago, and I'm just gonna do it a little bit, and I didn't plan on it, but I did first service, so you get it too. If you think that we aren't as a mix of a bag as that, you must be new to the church. We all have reasons that we are very different, that we would be butting heads against each other, and we are called to a labor of love. We are called to put in the work to love people because Jesus has put in the work to love us. Okay, that one's free. We'll keep going. The last one is steadfastness of hope. We saw this church has gone through so much conflict that there was a mob that got started at its very, at its very foundation, and it has not really gotten better for them. So they are called to steadfastness. Another word could be endurance. That might be another word that's easier for us. They are called to endure because of hope. They have hope that things will go better. They have hope, and that causes them to be steadfast. And it's not just some misguided hope. It's not just some warm feeling. No, it gives us the source right there. It is the steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. The source of hope is Jesus. The fact that Jesus will come back, the fact that he will finish the good work that he got started while he was here. We can trust, we can endure, we can be steadfast because of what Jesus is. And that is the source for all of this. How do we have a work of faith? It's because we are in Jesus. How do we have a labor of love? It is because we're in Jesus. How do we have steadfastness and hope? It is because we are in Jesus. Those three things come from the fact that we are in Jesus. Him coming, changing our life, causes us to be radically different than what we were before. And that is what we see is the source of the influence. The influence this church has is because they are in the Father, living a life in word and deed in Jesus. See, we're back. I told you we'd get here. Did you see how we got here? They are in the Father, 
That is the first verse that we saw, that they are in the Father. They are living a life in word, which is faith, hope, love, and deed, actually living these things out, which is work, labor, steadfastness, that only comes from being in Jesus. And all of this is the influence, the example that we see in verse 7. See how we got there? But they have this influence not because of some program, not because they have a really good evangelism tactic. They get this influence because they are living the Christian life in the places where God has put them. All right, I'm not preaching next week, so I'm going to steal a couple verses from uh, next week's passage. Don't tell me, okay? But look at verse 7 again, and this is what it says. And so you became an example. Remember, we said influence. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Verse 8, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth where? Everywhere. <sighs> everywhere. It's gone forth everywhere so that we don't need to say anything. It's gone everywhere. Every place this word has gone to, their influence has gone to everywhere because they are living this changed life, because they are living in this way. This influence that comes from being in the Father, living a life in word and deed in Jesus, has gone everywhere. The most powerful evangelism tactic we will ever have is not going and putting ourselves into a new place, but recognizing that we have been put. Do you have a family? Do you have a job? Do you have a neighborhood? Do you or your kids play sports or dance or do some other activity? Do you ever take the dog on a walk? Do you take yourself on a walk? Do you meet up with a group of moms? Do you carpool? Do you volunteer? If you said yes to any of those questions above, God will use you. The Christian life has a tendency to seep into everything if we let it, and yet we don't let it. We stop it. We compartmentalize. We're really good Christians on Sundays, and we're like everyone else wherever we are. But we are called to live a life of influence, and that involves going everywhere, recognizing God has put us uniquely in a place to make himself known. God has put us uniquely where we are to have an influence, to point people to Jesus for the first time, or to encourage and strengthen their faith, just like this church does. We need to recognize that we have been put in a place that we, and only we, can be used by God to reach. That is the encouragement of this church, that they have this influence that comes from being in the Father, living a life in word and deed in Jesus, and that goes everywhere. Everywhere. That is who we want to be as a church. And that is why we want to go through this letter together of 1 Thessalonians, to see how we can be a church of influence like this church was. And how do we do that? Well, here's a classic cliffhanger. Here's a reason to keep coming back for the next seven months. As we continue to see what does it mean to have a life that is so changed, to live a life of influence by the encouragement given to us by this church. And here's my challenge for you for this week. Read through 1 Thessalonians three times. It's pretty short, should be pretty quick to get through, but the, the reason behind this is we want you to be familiar with the text before we mark it up. We want you to be coming to it having read it, uh, so that it's not something new as we're scribbling across it all over the place. And as we are reading it, as we are seeing what it is that God has done, this life that he is calling us to do, how he has changed us and shaped us, how he has uniquely placed us in the spots that he has placed us, 
we can see how we can be used for influence in the same way this church was. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to learn of what you've done, what you've called us to, to see who you are, to see who you have called us to be, to see the power to live that life given to us. You have placed us all in unique positions. No one else does all the things that we do. No one else lives an identical life to the one that you have given us. So let us be used by you to be an influence like this church was. As people who have been changed and shaped by your good news, let us have a work of faith, a labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. Not just having these virtues, but seeing that they are lived out in our lives. We can only do that by your strength and power. So it's you and you alone we pray. Amen.